0: sure noticed some positive vibes and excitement in the air. And uh, it's hard to believe that this time last year we were at the beginning of uh, such a wild ride. So it's great to see commodity prices tick up as of late. Um, Our industry has some nice tailwinds right now for sure. On the market access side, Line 3, TMX, Coastal Gas Link, all moving along nicely. Uh, On the supply and demand side, OPEC Plus is continuing its curtailment and COVID restrictions are slowly but surely lifting around the world. Demand is coming back. On the investment side, Canada is looking more and more attractive in comparison to the U.S. as they look to bolster their ESG requirements down there. So hopefully that will bring operating costs more in line uh, with ours. And Of course, as mentioned on the commodity price side, a lot of operators right now are looking at windfalls they hadn't counted on in uh, Q4 last year. So based on that nice jump in, in WTI pricing, hopefully some of those cash flows will flow into increased production towards the end of the year. So things are looking up. And I'm not going to jinx it by saying too much more, Uh, we have a great guest this month, Chad Hayden, founder of Galatea Technologies is joining us, so let's get right into the industry update and on with the show. Our industry update is brought to you by RigorTalk. RigorTalk is your global energy services network. Join the growing RigorTalk community of over 350,000 energy professionals worldwide. Get pinned on the map today at Rigor Talk. On the drilling side, in February we saw 4,213 operating days compared with 6,424 in February of last year for a 34 percent decrease year-over-year. Month-over-month we had 4,689 operating days in January, so in February we dropped 10% compared to last month's numbers. Active rigs for the month averaged 173, down from 257 in 2019 or a decrease of 16,800 jobs year over year. Our registered drilling rig fleet sits at 489, down 25 rigs or 5% year over year. Provincially, in February, Alberta averaged 66% of active rigs. Saskatchewan had 19%, B.C. 13%, and Manitoba 1%. In 2020, Alberta had 66% of active rigs, Saskatchewan 26%, B.C. 6%, and Manitoba 2% this February on average 102 rigs were drilling for oil and 68 were drilling for gas so that we're still at that 60-40 oil to gas split while in February of last year 185 rigs were drilling for oil and 61 were drilling for gas for a 75-25 split oil to gas. On the service rig side operating hours in February were down 22% over 2020 totals. And this is the first month since about November where we've seen a significant gap year over year. We've been pretty tight uh, on those lines for the last couple of months and now it's it's uh, sort of separated a bit here. Um, February's totals were 83,372 operating hours versus 106,372 332 last year a decrease of twenty two thousand nine hundred and sixty month over month we had eighty nine thousand nine hundred and fifty three operating hours in January so we're down just over six thousand hours or seven percent the working service rate count was up three month over month to four hundred and eighty-nine and down from five hundred and thirty-one in 2020 or 42 rigs year over year Hours per working rig are down 28 year-over-year, from 142 to 114, uh, but hours per working rig are up 2 from last month's 140. Provincially, Alberta saw 66% of service rig activity in February, Saskatchewan 21%, B.C. 7%, and Manitoba 4%. Last year, the provincial breakdown had Alberta at 68% of service rig activity, Saskatchewan at 22%, B.C. at 4%, Manitoba at 5%. So the biggest change is B.C.'s additional 3% of market share on the service side this year. According to their March 9 short-term energy outlook, the U.S. Energy Information Administration is estimating global energy consumption was at 95.9 million barrels per day in February, a decrease of 1.6 million barrels per day from last year. EIA is forecasting an average global consumption level of 97.5 million barrels per day in 2021, up 1.6 million barrels per day versus 2020 and down 200,000 barrels per day from their 2021 estimate last month they are still however forecasting global consumption to increase in 2022 by another 3.8 million barrels per day eia is also predicting a more balanced market for this year next than some of the oil bulls out there uh, but they've added the caveat of opec plus production decisions other market analysts, such as RBC and Nine Point Partners, are predicting more of an imbalance in the coming years, with underinvestment in drilling over the past six years factoring into an, an inevitable supply crunch, even with OPEC Plus curtailments coming back into the market. There wasn't any commentary that I could find on uh, WTI pricing in the EIA March update, but EIA's website lists their 2021 forecast as 57.24. US dollars up about $7 from their number last month. On the natural gas side of the equation, EIA reports the Henry Hub natural gas spot price month-over-month month increased by $2.64 from 271 in January to 535 per million BTUs in February. They report this pricing level is the highest nominal monthly average Henry Hub increase since February of 2014. Price effects were amplified because the rise in demand occurred amid a drop in natural gas production due to well freeze-offs. EIA expects Henry Hub spot prices to decline to an average of $2.88 per million BTU and average $3.14 for the year. Last month we thought it would be interesting to see how much their forecast changed because of the situation in Texas, and this pop in pricing uh, wasn't unexpected. What will be interesting now of course is seeing how long the higher price holds. As of today, March 19, breakup is upon us and we are sitting at 99 active rigs compared with 86 this time last year. Of those 99, we are at about uh, 50-50 split oil to gas. And that's it for the industry update. Our industry update is brought to you by Riggertalk. Talk is your global energy services network join the growing RigorTalk community of over 350,000 energy professionals worldwide. Get pinned on the map today at RigorTalk.com. Okay, stick around. We will be right back with our special guest this month, Chad Hayden, founder of Galatea Technologies. General Well Servicing is a premier and proud family-run service ring contractor serving our customer base in southeast Saskatchewan and southwest Manitoba since 1996. For over 25 years, we have been building one of the most efficient, hardworking, driven, and safest reputations in the area through hiring and training our best asset, our people. To learn more about General Well Servicing, check us out online at general.fasttruckingservice.com. Welcome back to the General Well Servicing CAODC podcast. Well, we talk a lot about Canadian oil and gas being the best in the world when it comes to innovation, environmental stewardship, health, safety, and training, etc. But what does that mean specifically? Our guest this month is Chad Hayden, founder of Galatea Technologies, a company that is one great example of exactly what we're talking about. Welcome, Chad. Thanks for having me, John. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Uh, we were just chatting about uh, your podcast with Jeffrey Kahn, and he's uh, right into the technology. Um, and he's kind of not just oil and gas related. He's sort of all over the place.
1: Yeah, Jeffrey spans the whole energy sector and does a really good job Um promoting the conversation and narrative around how innovation is really going to provide efficiencies that are going to help create resiliency in our industry
0: well it was it was you know I took a lot of notes actually and and it really helps articulate um, what it is that we do it sometimes you know we've been accused of uh, and when I say we I mean the the industry in general has been accused of not communicating exactly what it is that we do and I think you know one of the reasons for that is a lot of it's very technical, but if you can sort of break it down, I mean, it's just just incredible and we'll get into that. So uh, I guess maybe we should start off by uh, getting a bit of your background. Uh, how did you get started in the industry?
1: So I actually started on a drilling rig many, many, many years ago. I graduated high school and my first job out was to work on a trailblazer coiled tubing rig we did a lot of projects. It was neat. Um, when you're a young kid and you go to a rig, you go from being a kid to a man in about a two week hitch. So, uh, I spent the better part of a year packing a flare line because that's all they'd let me do. We worked across southern Alberta and then moved up to northeast BC. It clicked with me at that point that you know I, I this lifestyle wasn't sustainable. So I said, hey. You know, I, I got to figure this out. I went to school, I came back to Calgary. I went to the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology. I took my petroleum diploma. And then inevitably after SAIT, I went back into the field. Uh, still working on the rigs, I checked mud for the better part of a couple of years. Um, that took me across North America. I checked mud from Northeast BC all the way down into the Gulf of Mexico. I worked on a jackup rig for a year. But it was cool. I got to work in different jurisdictions from Colorado to Texas to Pennsylvania. You get to see a lot. You get to learn a lot. People do things differently and, and picking up on those nuances. I came home back to Calgary, working primarily in oil field services on the backside of the rig, selling everything from centrifuges to managed pressure drilling. Uh, where I, you know, the, the last job before I went out on my own to start Galatea, I worked at a company called Nualta and got really intimate with uh, sending waste to disposal. That's everything from construction, drilling and completions, obviously mud and and cuttings, and then flow back and produce water. So really intimate with that side of the business Uh, got me here today. Well, it's great. And you're a young entrepreneur in in the
0: energy industry, and it all started with getting a job on a rig. you know, we, I think, are going to see a big labor crunch coming up here. Um, at this point, it's difficult to, I think, encourage kids to get into an industry they think might be a sunset industry or it might be a bad uh, bad thing for the planet. Uh, so I, I think that it's great, you know, to hear your story because I've always told people that had I known about the opportunity on the drilling rigs when I was in university, um, I probably well I don't know I wasn't very smart back then so maybe I wouldn't have taken it but I think it would have been a good idea because you can make really good money in a short period of time um, and and learn a really important technical skill and, and uh, so I'm really hoping that as time goes on here kids are are gonna get interested and I think stories like yours are very important in showing them that there are multiple pathways um, in this industry and in other industries that can actually start on a drilling rig. And when you're working on a drilling rig, uh, you're getting paid well. And that, I mean, even if you're just using it in the summers to sort of, you know, uh, take care of your student loans, it's a good option, so.
1: Working on a drilling rig is like a family. The thing I really appreciated about it is they let you fail. They keep you close enough to make sure you're not going to get hurt, but they let you make mistakes they send you for a bucket of steam, they send you for all these these funny jokes, but they, they do that intentionally because you're a family, you're, you're part of that team, you're part of that crew and they look after you. So it was really cool as, as my first job out of high school to get that camaraderie, to get to get really intimate with a bunch of rig hands. And they let you fail, they let you make mistakes, they let you learn real hard lessons. You know, We did a project in Northeast BC for Conoco at the time where the sun didn't even go over the horizon. You know, I, I remember waiting at the plane on crew change and my crew change didn't show up. So the company man looked at me uh the, the tool push, looked at me and said, Chad, you're staying. Uh, you know, my third hitch, I think I stayed up there for five weeks to cover, you know, my week off and then my two week hitch. So you learn a lot of tough lessons and it's been instrumental in my career trajectory you know, it's, it's part of the reason why I work so hard and I dive in so deep and really try to get intimate with what's going on. So I owe it, you know, I owe it to my dirty coveralls and my roughneck days. Well, there's, you know,
0: nothing more valuable than
1: a work ethic, that's for sure.
0: Uh, so you mentioned a lot of other jurisdictions. Um, you know, how do how does Canada compare... With respect to operating procedures and and ESG, as you sort of move out of the country
1: and and get some experience in other areas, well, Canada has a really established and well-funded industry. I've never worked in a jurisdiction where we've that has more people and knowledge working on this this industry, and the industry spans from from everything from DNC to production to environmental, remediation, rem rack, It creates this this industry that leads in regulations. Some of the regulations when I worked in Texas compared to Canada were much different. There were a lot of nuances. and the cool part about working in these jurisdictions is you can understand that and apply some of those learnings and some of that understanding, you can see the contrast and you can bring that back to the Canadian market. We've got a lot of hands in Canada that have worked all over the world. And that seeds our industry, that seeds some of our really cool things that we've done in other jurisdictions and that also brings some, some cool ideas and cool regulations from, from other jurisdictions back to Canada. I think we're lucky to have um, the Alberta energy regulator that actually enforces laws. You know, at Galatea we're developing a technology to help producers manage compliance. The regulator has been very supportive in answering questions and providing clear and concise direction. It's not wishy-washy, we get answers and those answers help us develop software which helps um, our clients manage that compliance. I think we're lucky to to live in a, a jurisdiction in Canada where producers are held accountable, both by investors and regulators. Yeah. No,
0: that's it's such a great point. And um, when you get into the specifics of it, uh, you know, I, I've heard examples of, uh, you know, sites being, off limits because of specific uh, species of trees, um, specific species of birds, uh, you know, and and you're just not allowed to to operate there. And you know, from a from a site remediation, I don't know uh, what your background is in th- in that area, and I don't have one at all. I'm just uh, sort of speaking anecdotally here, but uh, the way that they clear leases um, in a certain order and then move the soil back and the the reverse order so that everything's done properly, Um, you know, it's inspected, uh, cleaned up, um, you know, and and some of the site reclamation that's been done up in the oil sands, it's just, it's remarkable. Uh, So we really do uh, have a stunning reputation when it comes to the rest of the world. Uh, So as far as Galatea goes, how did the idea come about?
1: Well, the big thing is is listening for problems i've always been somebody who likes to fix things you know my grandpa worked on a farm and if you've ever been a farmhand you got to fix things with what's in the quonset. so i like doing that step one was listen for the problems um you know i'm uh, not as smart as other people so i really had to live the problem i actually had to go work at a company at new and understand that waste disposal business When I left New Alta, I went and worked for a trucking company for two years. I got to be the dispatcher. I got to ride around with the truck drivers. I got to actually live the problem, go through the pain. Once you do that, you can formulate a thesis about how it's broken. Once you formulate that thesis, you can test it. So you can say, okay, if we change this, if we did this differently, what were the results? And at Waste Coordinator, before we even kicked this off, we were looking at how to optimize waste disposal and trucking. And we were able to prove and test out that thesis that that the savings you know are roughly 20, 30, 40 percent, depending on the client, the area, and the activity. And then the next step is to build a business. And we're very lucky in Calgary to have a bunch of seasoned senior entrepreneurs that have started oil companies, that have started oil field services companies. They're really engaged and they will help young entrepreneurs start businesses if you go out there and ask for it. So I was really lucky to have a group of mentors, advisors. I have a great board of directors that have really helped me, coached me, take this from an idea uh, to a revenue-generating company.
0: So can you walk us through the the
1: process of, it's called Waste Management, is that right, or? Yeah, our product's called Waste Coordinator. Waste Coordinator, yeah. So essentially how Waste Coordinator works is in every sort of facet, operational facet of oil and gas production, you generate waste from lease construction, to drilling with mud and cuttings, to completions with flowback, to production with produced water, then facilities with a bunch of different waste streams, they all generate waste. And part of the complexity is around managing where does that go to disposal? Obviously, there was a big merger the other day with Secure and Terra Vita, Uh, there's a few disposal facilities out there. There's also this network of producer-owned disposal facilities, this grey market of disposal facilities. So, we bring transparency to that decision-making process. We give the operators insights into estimated trucking costs, disposal costs, wait time costs. You know, we even calculate GHG emissions on every load. So operators have the transparency to see that total cost of disposal. Then when they're moving fluids or solids to that uh, end disposal location, we do things like helping them manage their compliance, helping them with classification, characterization of waste, which alludes and, and brings insight into which manifesting documents or TDG documents they need. We help them gather the truck tickets, Uh, in a digital format, and then we have an estimate on what that load should be. We get the actual tickets and we can help them start to automate approvals. Because let's face it, the industry is going to have to manage more production and more assets with less people. And it's the obligation of technology companies like mine to assist these companies to manage more assets uh, with less people. So that's kind of the workflow and how we help operators uh, make better decisions in the oil and gas waste disposal space
0: and so at the end of the day you're kind of optimizing the process so that it's reducing costs and at the same time reducing emissions
1: yeah exactly i don't think those two things are mutually exclusive one of the really cool things that we do with producers is in December 2020, the AER released a water conservation policy for upstream oil and gas operations. It put a greater emphasis on the use of alternatives to high-quality non-saline sources. And what does that mean? It means when producers are running enhanced oil recovery schemes, water injection schemes to increase the recovery of oil, um, they're using water to do that. So. We said, hey, there's an opportunity here to develop an innovative technical solution to work with the regulatory bodies around incentivization or tools and to create a system where producers can start sending produced water to EOR. uh, With different compatibilities in chemistry, how can we start to move this water from conventional disposal to actually enhancing and producing more oil and gas? which limits the demand for this high-quality non-saline water. Um, So, it's a huge value proposition and not only is that saving uh, and helping promote this ESG narrative around GHG emissions, it's also really playing into that reduce, reuse, recycle of water. Because we think at Galatea that, that the narrative around ESG um, is something we need to be proud about and something that, that we need to help producers stand up on their chairs and say, listen, we lead the world in our performance. How can I give them the data so that they can come up and with factual evidence say, listen, here's our reduction in high-quality non-saline water usage. If we as an industry can lead that conversation around water management, that's going to drive investment dollars and, and industry growth to Canada.
0: Yeah, well, it's just amazing to me that, this, you know, one part of the entire process is looked at under a microscope, you know, it's it's with such granularity that we're looking at minimizing wait times at disposal sites in order to reduce emissions coming from the tailpipe. Like this is the kind of detail that we have in Canada when it comes to ESG. And so, you know, and I know for, well, I don't know, I'll ask you, I guess, uh, for, for personally, it's that's why it's so frustrating to hear industry opponents come out and just sort of paint us with this brush that nobody in, in the, the sector cares about the environment and it's all just big oil. And, uh, you know, I mean, most some of the most environmentally conscious and knowledgeable, I mean, earth scientists I've met are in the oil and gas industry. So, you know, it, it's, uh, it just, it doesn't doesn't ring true to me, and that's why it's so frustrating to hear. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts. How would you characterize the public debate about oil and gas and and our industry?
1: Well, I think Canada is lucky to have very passionate people on both sides. I think having that both sides of the equation creates oversight and it leads to environmental, social and financial responsibility. And I think in the long run, as hard as that is right now, that creates resiliency. And resiliency means, and I I hope that it means, that the last long-chain hydrocarbons being used in this energy transition will come out of Canada, because we are the most environmentally responsible in all the jurisdictions I've worked in. Um, uh, Like I alluded to, I believe in increasing energy demand. I know even with COVID. Um, Peter Trudzakian had a great post the other day that talked about taking 95% of the airplanes and 20% of the cars off off of, you know, moving around and we only reduced oil consumption by, I think, 20%. So I believe the future is, is going to have ever-increasing energy demand, and this takes all forms of energy. To do this, we need to innovate. We need to collaborate. And, um, and I think talking about this narrative, we need to learn as an industry to show empathy and work to understand and lead with factual evidence. We have nothing to hide. If you look at the numbers, the numbers are there. We are we are heading and trending towards a future um, that is is more environmentally, socially, and financially responsible. And that's something we need to be proud of. At Galatea, when we hire new people, One of the really cool questions I think that we ask them is when somebody asks you what do you do what are you going to say and we want to hire people that are proud to work in oil and gas that are proud to work with innovation and really believe in that this thesis that that we are in Canada we are a leader of responsibility we're going to create this resilient industry and it's our job to sunset this or work with this transition um, because in the future everyone's going to need more more electrons.
0: Agreed. Um, and and such a great point you make. I find that there are so many contradictions in the debate. And I think one of the big ones for me is this whole divestment movement out of Canadian oil and gas. And as you mentioned, when you dig into it from an environmental perspective, if that's truly your goal is to do better for the environment, then all of your money would be spent in Canadian oil and gas because we're actually doing that work. So if if you're truly using ESG standards as a benchmark, you wouldn't be divesting from Canada. In fact, you would be investing
1: in Canada.
0: So it's uh, it's confusing and it's frustrating for sure. Well, in oil Uh, and gas
1: production, oil and gas production is hard. You know, we don't realize it, but there are trucking companies out there right now that work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. They don't get vacations. It's constant, nonstop. Those are the people that I appreciate so much because we don't hear from them. We don't hear about that. People don't realize it. It's so easy to to um, object things, but they don't realize how hard we work to make sure that that you have clean drinking water, to make to make sure that you have energy to heat your house, to make sure that you've got electrons to plug in your cell phone. Um, you know, we really owe it all to the field guys and girls that are out there in the field working 24-7, 365, sacrificing um, this lifestyle that I take for granted. Um it's it's something that I think, you know, we need to tell a better story and we need to be proud of the industry that we work in and the service that we provide to society.
0: Well, you're helping us tell a better story today, so we appreciate your time. What's next for Galatea? What, what are you guys working on right now?
1: Yeah, we really like prediction. We really like trying to under- take data to see around corners and see the future. So some of the cool things we're working on that we see in the pains that we live is in the disposal market, things can get really busy really fast. We had road bans go in um, up around Gordondale last, yesterday. So that creates this pain. How can we start to predict these things? How can we start to predict when people are going to frack wells? How much volume is going to come onto the market? Where is the differentiation in supply and demand? If we can start to predict those things, we can help producers better manage field inventories for example, if a couple companies are going to frack some wells, you can drain your production tanks so you'll have less water to send to disposal during those times that we predict there's going to be these big wait times. So we're, we're really working on prediction and how can we provide insights that people just can't see without some cool technology uh, to operators so they can better manage their business, reduce their OPEX, increase their revenue by marketing excess pr- uh, disposal capacity to other producers. And then support it with data to, to tell their ESG and support their ESG narrative. Well, it sounds like some amazing stuff. Where can our listeners uh, learn more information? Yeah, LinkedIn's the best place to get, get uh, a hold of us. Our website's galateatech.com. And I'm, I'm really all about supporting this narrative. So I'd love to have any conversation about how we can come up with some strategy or campaign um, to really promote. Canada is as the leader in environmental, social, financial responsibilities. So please reach out. I'd love to connect uh, with any of the listeners out there that want to get behind this cause.
0: All right, Chad Hayden, founder of Galatea Technologies. Thank you very much for joining us. John, that was fun. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That's it for another edition of the General Well Servicing CAODC podcast. We end this episode on a sad note. The CAODC family lost one of its long-standing members last month. Mr. Keith Krausert passed away, and we want to express our condolences to his family and friends and take a moment of silence. All right. Thanks again for joining us. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future shows, please drop us a line at communications at caodc.ca. We hope you all have a great month. And until next time, keep it turning to the right.